0: Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink Software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capella University. Capella's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. See how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.
1: Hi, this is Here and Now Anytime, where we give you a little news a little something you weren't expecting, and always a fresh, in-depth perspective on current events, arts and culture, and stories that matter. Subscribe or follow to get all our episodes out every weekday. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend about us to help spread the word. Now here's the show.
2: A Trump nomination is a Biden win and a Kamala Harris presidency.
1: Technically, it's still a two-person race for the Republican nomination. But for how long? It's Wednesday, January 24th, and this is Here and Now, Anytime, from NPR and WBWR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, Boeing is still in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. And how many newscasters do you know that write poetry, play piano, and banjo on the air? Well, really it's just one. Charlie was so different,
3: and when he would speak to camera, he'd always imagine that he was speaking to his younger sister that he grew up with in Baltimore <laughs> and telling her a story. He was never announcery,
1: y and um, I just think it created such a great warmth. Mo Rocca remembers Charles Osgood. But first, about last night in New Hampshire. A rematch between President Biden and former President Trump is looking increasingly likely after Trump beat former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley in New Hampshire yesterday by double digits. But Haley insists the race for the GOP nomination is far from over. She's holding a rally tonight in North Charleston, South Carolina, ahead of next month's primary there in her home state. Last night, she told supporters she'll keep going.
2: I decided to run because I'm worried about the future of our country and because it's time to put the negativity and chaos behind us.
1: (laughs) Trump was combative as ever in his victory speech, complaining that Haley acted like she won when she hadn't. Trump insulted her dress, insinuated she'd be investigated if he were to win, and then this. But I don't get too angry, I get even. (laughs) The only person... For their part, the campaign team for President Biden texted Politico, that's the guy we will beat. Robin Young and Scott Tong invited back two political strategists to get their thoughts. Jamal Simmons is a Democrat and former communications director to Vice President Kamala Harris. Matt McCoviak is a Republican based in Austin. Nikki Haley says she's
4: staying in. Uh, this race. She does have a big Wall Street fundraiser lined up. She has financial backing from the Koch Brothers political wing. Uh, Should she stay in, Jamal?
5: She should stay in because like the lottery, the only way to win it is to be in it, right? So she's got to stay in it and see how long um, this trend continues. It might be that Um, something happens externally that moves some of these Republican voters to look for somebody else, and she may be the last woman standing. So somebody's got to be an alternative to Trump. I'm sure this is their logic. Somebody's got to be an alternative to Trump in case something happens, and maybe she'll just inspire people to move. It's still pretty early in the nominating contest.
6: Yeah.
4: And uh, Matt, do you think uh, Nikki Haley should should stay in?
6: At this point, I don't. And, And the reason for that is I don't see a pathway to her not only being the nominee, but not even winning a state. I mean, if you ask her campaign, you know, what state can you win at this point? There's really not one they can credibly uh, cite. Of course, the next major contest will be South Carolina. There is a Nevada race here sooner, but uh, Nikki's in the primary and Trump is in the caucus, so they're not competing head to head. Um, Look, if she doesn't win her home state, having served as governor for two terms, um, you know, that would really be the last gasp. The question is, does she want to go through that for the next three or four weeks? Uh, Does she want to risk losing her home state? That's a lesson that that Marco Rubio learned uh, eight years ago in Florida, and, and that was not helpful to his, mm-hmm. his p- political career. So she has some tough days ahead and some tough decisions ahead for sure. But at this point, there's a 99% chance Trump's going to be the nominee.
4: Matt, what about the argument that Haley uh, should stay, some have argued this, in case Donald Trump's legal problems turn things upside down? We know in a couple weeks the Supreme Court will hear the Colorado case and whether he can even be on the ballot. This is the, uh, the insurrection clause case.
6: Yeah, I think of all the legal challenges facing Trump, that's probably the single weakest uh, by far. I think you'll see an 8-1 or 9-0 uh, ruling from the Supreme Court allowing him to be on the ballot in both Colorado and Maine and nationwide. But look, if you suspend your campaign, you don't end it. You suspend it. And so if something extraordinary were to happen, I imagine DeSantis and Haley and who knows who else might get back in and other people might get in at that point. So that's an unprecedented situation. It's hard to, very hard to predict. Suspending doesn't mean you can't be ready. Uh, it just means the party would unify behind our overwhelmingly likely nominee uh, mm. at this point so that so that we can focus on
5: defeating Biden in November.
2: It's mm. fascinating. Can I just say yeah. for the record, yeah,
5: we have experienced some of the most unprecedented politics over the last seven or eight years uh, that we've ever experienced. So Matt's right if it were to happen, uh, it would be unprecedented. But we've also never had someone marching toward the nomination with 91 felony counts of, of being weighed against him, So, and, and who helped lead an insurrection on January 6th after losing the last election. So we are in the midst of unprecedented times. Mm-hmm. I think if you're a candidate, you might want to do some unprecedented things.
2: Yeah. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But meanwhile, Jamal, uh, to the Democrats, the Biden campaign, as we said, did say, uh, this is the guy they want to face and this was after, you know, Trump's ungracious speech. But focus groups showed Trump supporters love that speech, love that guy who would mock a woman's dress. He tells it like it is. What do Democrats have to do that they're not doing? I mean, is there, and what is the thinking? Do they have to move any of those Trump voters? You know, what do they have to do and who do they have to do it for?
5: well the, the the trump attitude the disruptor is a feature it's not a bug right like this is exactly what people are signing up for when they uh, support president trump so they love to see it for the Democrats, they're not going after those voters. they're going after voters who are a little quieter they're after, they're going after people going in and out of office parks or you know taking their, dropping their kids off in the morning and just wanting to have a normal day, um, mm-hmm. wanting to listen to NPR and not be disturbed by some of the sounds that they're well. hearing while they got all things considered on or the or morning edition. So I think there's a we're here now. Um, so Thank I think you. that there is a um, a desire to talk directly and particularly to women. Um, who are disturbed by the president appointing three Supreme Court justices that eliminated the right to abortion. Um, Democrats have found in 2022 and in every state election where this has come up that voters really don't like that. And they they vote against it and they vote against Republican politicians who are for that kind of a national abortion ban.
2: Well, you know, I want to jump to that. I, we do have some sound from President Biden while they're racking that up. You know, I, we, though, hear from Democrats when we you know speak to voters in the street who say, Well, wait a second. You know, uh, why isn't Biden blasting out news about the economy? Why isn't uh, he running ads uh, showing Republicans outraged at Trump because he endangered their lives on January 6th and is now kissing his ring? We don't want to be comfortable. We don't want to just, you know, have uh, our NPR programs be just a place where we have a refuge from this. We want to highlight it. Your thoughts?
5: Well, you know, there's an arc to campaigning. And so uh, people pay attention at different moments. And so campaigns pay a lot of attention to when to talk to voters about certain things. And like many of us, we're just not paying that close attention to politics for a minute. But when you get closer to the summer, once Donald Trump is surely the nominee, you get into the conventions, people really focus, Okay, now there's an election happening, what what do I need to know? Mm -hmm. At that point, you can give them information that they'll retain.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, as you mentioned, President Biden held his first rally this week with uh, Kamala Harris, vice president. He named former President Trump, who appointed three Supreme Court justices uh, who overturned uh, a, a woman's right to choose. Let's listen.
3: The person most responsible for taking away this freedom in America is Donald
2: Trump. And then Harris made her case. One does not have to abandon their faith or deeply held beliefs to agree the government should not be telling her what to do with her body. But, Jamal, as you know, Biden was heckled throughout that event, as he has been at many open public events with people screaming at him, Genocide Joe, women are being killed in Gaza, and this is for supporting Israel's war against Hamas in Gaza. What should he be doing here?
5: You know, what happened on October 7th was horrific, and I think all of us who paid attention to it were were really horrified by the Hamas attack in Israel. And I think what the... um, uh, what some of the protesters are trying to say to the president is responding to that attack is one thing, but now it seems like there's just been a, such an extraordinary amount of death in Gaza to, of women and children, and the president, they want the president to do something about it and to step up. This is going to be a challenge for the president until um, things change on the ground in Israel and Gaza. And I think they can't they can't take it lightly. Uh, a lot of young people, a lot of people of color, people who are watching social media to get their news versus people who are watching the television are really animated by this. And so the president and the vice president are going to have to be responsive.
2: And just, Jamal, I just want to ask you quick. I'm, I'm staying with this because we heard over and over again uh, from Trump supporters that one of their biggest problems and problems with Biden was his perceived weakness because there are wars right now. Now some of them even think it's u s. wars. It's not. It's supporting allies. But we heard over and over we wouldn't have these wars if Trump were president. How do Democrats convey to voters? you know in fact, Trump has been cozy with both Russia's Putin and Israel's Netanyahu. likely would not be against these wars. what how, how do how do how does this get conveyed?
5: Most elections aren't really won or lost on foreign policy, but this is part of the Trump um, the, the, the the Trump argument for the Democrats, which is that you can't really trust him to keep the world stable. Does anybody think that having Donald Trump in office is going to make things more stable? <laughs> I mean, That's just not really his brand. So um, uh, I think, as the broader cases make about made about democracy, about abortion, about stability and chaos, I think those issues will be a part of that conversation.
4: And, and Matt, uh, back to Donald Trump last night after winning, he talked about tax cuts and inflation, and he mentioned migrants crossing in illegally. They come from prisons and they come from mental institutions, and it's, gonna, it's just killing our country. You know, Matt, the border, according to exit polls from New Hampshire, was a top issue uh, for Trump supporters. So assuming he's going to be in the general election, how does that issue play?
6: Yeah, I mean, maybe the issue he's is going to be on offense on the strongest. Uh, you know, this this general election is going to be the longest in our, and Jamal, in my lifetime. It's effectively yeah. started now, whether Nikki Haley admits that or not. Um, and what's going to be really interesting here is, is not since Grover Cleveland have we had a, f- a former president of the United States seek to be reelected and be the nominee of the party. And so you, what voters are going to be faced with is, did they like the Biden presidency more, or did they like the Trump presidency more? And clearly, voters didn't love either one 100% of the time. No one does. Uh, but immigration is going to be where Trump's on offense. He's going to be on offense on the economy as well. And Biden may be on offense on abortion and things like January 6th. And we'll see how, you know, where that ends up. This is going to be a very close election, I believe.
4: That is Matt McCovia, Republican strategist. We've also been talking to Jamal Simmons, Democratic strategist. Uh, long race ahead for both of you, for all of us. We'll get you back. Thanks to you both.
1: Talk to you soon. Thank you. coming up next. What's going on with Boeing? Troubles continue after that Alaska Airlines 737 MAX 9 flight had to perform an emergency landing due to a door plug blowing out. Now, Alaska and United are reconsidering their deals with Boeing. Robin has more after the break.
0: This episode's sponsor is PwC, which offers the following message. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. PwC pairs the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. Human-led and tech-powered, it's all part of the new equation from PwC.
2: Boeing's year is going from bad to worse. Alaska Airlines CEO is criticizing the company for various failings with that 737 MAX 9 that the airline had to ground after that door plug, which we learned is a cover where an exit would go, blew out a couple of weeks back. Alaska found more loose bolts during inspections. And then Saturday, there was this.
6: One of your nose tires just came off. It just rolled off the runway uh, behind you.
2: That is the moment that the pilot of a flight behind a Delta jet wanting, uh, waiting rather, to take off from Atlanta last Saturday let him know that his front wheel had rolled off into a ditch and the plane was made by Boeing. Let's get more on Boeing's year with Seth Kaplan, here now as transportation analyst. He joins us on Skype. Seth, start with that Delta flight losing its wheel. Uh, it, it was towed from the runway. The Federal Aviation Administration has released a statement. What do we know about this incident?
7: Yes, yeah, so the FAA's preliminary report says what we heard there, that we all came off and, and rolled down the hill. Delta has said all the passengers were put on another plane and, and went on to Columbia. This, Robin, is the kind of thing that when something goes wrong in the airline industry, uh, as of course something has recently, we tend to hear more about these kinds of incidents. We're talking here about a very old Boeing 757, generally planes that are in good repair but nothing where the same generation of people who are manufacturing the 737 Max is, had anything to do with this airplane.
2: Well, you know, it, it, but this has been a bad year, and United is mm. considering canceling an order of, of a new uh, airline uh, planes. And this is after two deadly crashes of another Max model. We all remember that a few years ago. So, you know, how, how bad are things for Boeing?
7: Well, as you said, a a troubling year and, and really a troubling five years if you go back to those crashes and this most recent incident. Thankfully, nobody was seriously hurt. But yes, you mentioned what United said. Alaska Airlines historically very much aligned with Boeing because although Boeing is officially headquartered in Chicago. They basically both share the Seattle, the Puget Sound area as as a base of operations. And you have Alaska expressing those same kinds of doubts. On the other hand, you look at Boeing shares trading and not that the investment community is always right about everything, but Boeing share price about where it was a year ago. So when you look at that, not the kind of company that investors at least think ha- has existential threats even though very serious problems
2: here. Right. Well, you've told us before, you know, everything is really safe, but when you know people are finding loose bolts when there's this kind of a failure of quality assurance at this large a scale. You know, well, first of all, how do what are they doing to make sure it doesn't happen again?
7: Well, of course the, the Max 9s right now are grounded. The older version of 737, the dash 900s that had that same door plug in some cases, also being inspected. I'll tell you, Robin, Boeing is fortunate that it is part of what you might call kind of a comfortable duopoly of aircraft manufacturers. A company in a different industry with lots and lots of competitors who had some of the same problems that Boeing has had might have more of an existential threat. In this case, there are basically two places in the world to go for big airplanes Boeing and Airbus. And so sooner or later, Boeing always seems to to get back on its feet, even if it has to maybe offer some incentives and discounts to get airlines back on board.
2: Okay. Here knows transportation analyst Seth Kaplan. Thank you.
7: Thank you, Robin.
1: Coming up, Mo Rocca remembers his friend and colleague Charles Osgood, a broadcast legend who died this week at 91. Robin has the story when we return.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Midi Health. Women in midlife face a healthcare desert, but Midi is here to fill the gap, offering expert care for perimenopause and menopause covered by insurance. Hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, weight gain, and moodiness don't have to be accepted as just another part of aging. Midi clinicians understand how these symptoms can connect to menopause and prescribe a wide range of solutions. Book your visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
5: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit Bluehost.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Lisa. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit Lisa.com to learn more. That's L-E-E-S-A dot
6: Good morning. I'm Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday Morning.
2: Ah, oh, just the sound. Veteran CBS newsman Charles Osgood has died at 91. He followed the legendary Charles Kuralt into the host chair at CBS Sunday Morning and made it his own over 22 years before stepping down in 2016. And of course, he was always a radio guy.
3: Good morning. This is Charles Osgood, News Radio 88.
2: Radio was his favorite medium. He hosted The Osgood File, his series of short reports for decades. Here's a story on a Fender electric guitar made out of cardboard.
3: The Osgood File. This is Charles Osgood. There are electric guitars, and then there are electric guitars. Would you believe that this one is made out of cardboard? It's true.
2: Let's take a moment to remember and, for some, learn about one of the nicest guys in the news biz with someone who knew him well, Mo Rocca, correspondent for CBS Sunday Morning. And, Mo, we know the show now hosted by, in my mind, the other nicest person in the news business, uh, Jane Pauley. But so sorry for what you uh, called in a tweet a family loss, really.
3: Well, you know, when I wrote that, I thought, is it going to sound like I'm lapsing into cliché? But (laughs) it is the truth. And, you know, Charlie would play the piano, and that's when I loved him best, on the show, but also at our holiday parties. He really Mm -hmm. brought the intimacy of radio to television, which is, I think... It was pretty unique.
2: Yeah. And just to remind people, CBS Sunday Morning was created by Shad Norshield. He persuaded Charles Corral to move from his on-the-road segments to Sunday Morning in 1979. There couldn't be a more perfect person to follow, you know, the folksy Corral than Charles Osgood. Remind us why. You know, what's the goal of the show and why did he fit it so perfectly?
3: Well, I think that Charlie sort of set himself apart from his generation of news people. I think of someone electrifying, but hard charging like Mike Wallace, Charlie was so different. And I didn't know this until sort of the end of his tenure, that when he would speak to camera, he'd always imagine that he was speaking to his younger sister that he grew up with in Baltimore mm-hmm. and telling her a story. He was never announcery, y And um, I just think it created such a great warmth. You know, the clothes he wore, the bow ties, it, they never felt like costumes. That's who he was. And I have a really fond memory of i once sang some songs with him at a jazz club birdland in new york city and when i went over to rehearse with him and i what other anchor could you say that about by the way i was singing with him at birdland but <laughs> i i went over to his apartment early one saturday morning And I could just hear from the other side – well, before I knocked, I could hear him at his grand piano going, embrace me, my sweet embraceable you. And I thought this is what this man probably does every Saturday morning, gets up, puts on his robe, sits down at the grand piano and plays Gershwin. (laughs) That's who he was.
2: Well, you know, and I'm thinking how to say this. Um, Charles Corrald, marvelous on the air, could be a little prickly off air. And what you're saying is Charles Osgood was who he was on air and off. Talk a little bit about him, though, as a journalist, his writing.
3: Well, very concise with words. He managed to be economical, but always have those grace notes. He loved, of course, rhymes. He loved writing verse. You know, when I think of Charlie in his office, I don't think of him kind of grinding away, pulling (laughs) his, his hair. I mean, he worked at it, but he really mostly had a smile on his face when he was at work mm. and he's sort of delighted in it. And he very much, and one of the reasons I love him at the piano, when we would gather around and it was our paterfamilias, he's so delighted in the rest of us joining in singing, even if some of us might be prickly producers <laughs> <and> or merely <ordinarily laughs> grumbling. If he could get us to sing The 12 Days of Christmas, that was pretty great. Right.
2: Staying with his writing, he wrote in verse a lot. Here's an example.
3: Before your working years are through, I hope whatever work you do makes you happy. As you smile, you
5: may be at it quite a while.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, a line, a clever line there. Well, Charlie always used to end every show with, See you on the radio. Moraka, just your thoughts.
3: I think he was a great ambassador for radio on television. So, I think if anyone could bridge it, in a way that was authentic, it was Charles Osgood. But I, I do think his first love was radio. He also loved being on TV. And I think he really delighted when he became the narrator of Horton Hears a Who, and he oh, became sort of that voice. Oh, you know, and I always found when I was would be in airports, even when people would ask about, Charlie that oftentimes say, well, tell us about Mr. Osgood. Mm-hmm. There was something about him that made you want to stand up straighter, not because he was a disciplinarian, but because he was just so proper. He was such a gentleman. Our executive producer called him the last great gentleman of broadcasting, which I oh, which I kind of love.
2: And now gone. Moraka from CBS Sunday Morning. Thank you so much in helping us remember Charles Osgood. Thank you, Robin, for this opportunity.
5: So long it's been good to know you. So long it's been good to know you. So long it's been good to know you. A long time since I've been home, and I've got to be drifting along.
1: Here and Now, Anytime, comes from the team behind Here and Now, from NPR and WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by Lynn Menegon, Thomas Danielian, and Adeline Sear. Today's editors were Todd Munt, Michaela Rodriguez, and Kat Welch. Technical direction from Mike Moschetto and Caleb Green. Mike Moschetto also wrote our theme music, along with Max Liebman and me, Chris Bentley. Her digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the radio and right here tomorrow.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Acorn TV. Stream stories from around the world, from sinister suspense to charming comedies and clever crime dramas like My Life is Murder, starring Lucy Lawless. Visit Acorn.tv for a 30 day free trial with promo code NPR.
2: On this week's episode of Wild Card, comedian Bowen Yang says you don't have to feel bad for falling short on mindfulness.
7: I get in my own way by, like, over-privileging the present.
2: That's so interesting because everyone wants to be in the present.
7: I feel like being present is overrated.
2: I'm Rachel Martin. Join us for NPR's Wild Card Podcast, the game where cards control the conversation.